0: Welcome back to Season 2. We are so grateful for your continued support and for those new to the podcast. We look forward to sharing our getting dirty and growing strong stories with you. Where the Lotus Grows is an entirely listener-supported show. Supporting us is also designed to support you through keeping the growth flowing and also through rewards like guided meditations, personal affirmations, and extended behind the scenes content of our adventures in podcasting hop over and visit patreon.com backslash where the lotus grows and become a supporting member of the creatitarian community
1: where the lotus grows where the lotus grows getting dirty and growing strong
0: Hi, Clegetarians, welcome back. Today, Tanya and I are going to talk about aging and the medicine and what kind of matters in the
1: end of life as we're aging. Ooh, and it's happening. It's happening to us, isn't it, Kim? (laughs) (laughs) I
0: think I'm in denial of it. Yeah. You know, I think the first time aging actually really hit me was when we were both doing our internship at Howard County General Hospital. I expected going in that everyone was going to be much older than me, and you know, as we were doing our rounds, it, people were my age or slightly younger, and mm-hmm. that was the majority of the people that we saw. And yeah, so nurse and kind of like, <sighs> doctor. Right. So <laughs> I was like, "Hello, these patients are my age." Like big wake up call for me. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I see that. Too, I see that often. Um, I can say that getting older um, and and making it midway, which is where I feel we are, right? We're, we're in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really, it's really humbling in a lot of ways, and also, I do feel a great sense of relief. When I look at younger folks and see some of the things that, you know, they're worried about or that they have that, not that we don't have plenty of things to be worried about in our society and in, in the world. But I'm saying like self-esteem wise and that kind of thing. So much of that that I had in my teens and 20s is gone. As far as, you know, anxiety or, or being not I'm not saying that it's completely gone, but, you know, really giving a shit about what other people think about you. Uh, does at least for me tend to fade a little as we've gotten older or at least it's in more perspective of what really matters the idea that you know like the the five five minute rule if it's not going to matter in five years why give it five minutes of your attention right, right. <laughs> and, and just the fact that um Having lived longer, you really do get to experience what really matters more, you know, and what's really important, what is going to matter in five years, because you've experienced more increments of five years. I feel, do you feel that, that it's easier to kind of let some things go?
0: Yeah, you know, at 45, I remember sitting at the um, garden at MUIH, uh, journaling about what it was like to be... uh, you know, halfway to 90 and things that I oh. learned. And it, and it was really, you know, a nice, I think my, I had a big gap between when we finished in my uh, plane taking off. And I, I took that time, it was on my birthday to kind of sit there and meditate with that. And it was really a cathartic practice for me to, you know, see how far I had come And Mm -hmm. I think, I think the older you get, like at the age that we're at now, you're, you're more comfortable in your skin because you've really learned about who you are and what matters. Uh, You know, then being diagnosed with cancer, um, you know, like a whole bunch of, it was like a huge dump, right? (laughs) Of things that I don't have to worry about. I've always thought, even since a young age, that I was going to live to a hundred vibrantly. But going through cancer treatment, you know, I have told Nick uh, you know, I feel like I've aged 20 years and, you yeah. know, we got to, we got to laugh, laughing about, um, you would probably remember the ref- reference Ethel and somebody, uh, he started kind of doing a sitcom between us. Cause like I, you Lucy know, and maybe. like I love
1: I, Lucy, Lucy and Ethel. Okay. No, oh ahead. no, maybe it was,
0: um, I don't think it was, it was a husband, wife. Oh, uh, okay. reference but uh, anyways that doesn't really matter but uh, we were trying to do something on our cell phones and you know I was like well I'll read the directions you try to do it on your phone and then we'll reverse well he couldn't figure that out so I ended up doing both of them and we just got to laughing and I said you know somewhere in this cancer treatment we've become our parents <laughs> like
1: what is it? Uh... like
0: just our language and like trying to support each other and I think my eyesight might have gotten worse through cancer treatment. And, you know, so I'm having a hard time seeing, reading little print without my glasses. And he needs a flashlight to see, you know? So I'm just like, what's happening, you know? But um, yeah, you know, I think you think you just learn to embrace it. And I like the saying, um, you know, I age gracefully like a bottle of wine. And I'm yeah. not going to try to cover up any of this parts about aging, I've never been about that. I've never, I never doctor pictures or anything that I use out in public because, um, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, I've been embracing being a flat chested woman in her fifties, It's you know, it's not something that you see all the time. And, um, when you're flat, I mean, being small chested, my, my belly, uh, always looked bigger than what it was. But now being flat chested and having put on some weight through treatment, you know, it definitely accentuates that. And I'm just trying to embrace it. Like I woke up yesterday, I told Mm -hmm. my acupuncturist and I was just rubbing my belly, saying how much I love my body and, you know, trying to really love myself at 50. And that's okay. I don't have to look like stuff in magazines.
1: Yeah, so that's another thing that I wanted to kind of bring up just briefly in this episode, because uh, only briefly because we know that it's true um, and we all live with it, but the idea, I sent you a text message um, from, I think it was earlier last month when we had talked about maybe possibly talking about aging, and it was this beautiful picture of Nicole Kidman on the cover of Vanity Fair. However, Nicole Kidman is 54 years old (laughs) and she looks fantastic for 54, but the photo was so doctored that it looked like a 25 year old Nicole Kidman on the cover. And it's really frustrating because it's like, no one looks like this at 54. Why would you put this out there to, to, um, Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just really kind of frustrating. Um, Sorry, Nicole, if you're listening. (laughs) I'm sure, you know, it's a beautiful picture. But just the fact that, um, like you said, not using filter. I never say never. There may be a day that I need something touched up in a photo. But I do play with those filters on my phone. And I'm just like, this is bizarre. Like, I wouldn't use them as like a communication thing like I see a lot of people like use lighting is one thing but to to filter and mask something it's just so odd and I do think it's a little dangerous why it are we because, so afraid
0: <laughs> it is because I see younger people even even middle-aged women um who haven't come to peace yet with loving themselves uh struggle with trying to you know, make themselves look like this image that just is never obtainable for anyone. Sure, um,
1: you know, I mean, and, and i really know. talking about that. Yeah, like I use my fair share of creams and lotions and tricks <laughs> to look Absolutely. better. Like I feel like you know we all do, um, but there is a level of you know what you present, and obviously, you know, you and I have had photo shoots together. You you get the good lighting, you get the the good photographer, the you know, nice, the best angle, all of those things. Um, But there is a level that it's, and and it's teetering right on that edge of of acceptance and clinging to something that's just not possible. And you're absolutely right. I think we have to embrace and love all of it as it comes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know,
0: I'm in a little different scenario but I know that there's Mm -hmm. millions of women out there like me and Nick and I had this conversation yesterday because um you know I'm still having to treat my skin quite a bit and I need some help and he asked me he said can you just use your hands clean can you just use your hand and I said no I'm not really touching myself in that spot yet I mean I've started Mm -hmm. down my neck and I've gotten to maybe an inch or two below my collarbone and, um, I started crying and he says he wanted to talk about it in the moment. And I said, right now I'm in pain from the treatment that we're doing. Now's not the <laughs> time to escalate that into an emotional thing. So when we were out talking, um, we were out driving yesterday and I, I said, I calmed down and I said, listen, um, my body doesn't look like my body. I don't have yeah. these cute little perky, you know, handful of boobs anymore. And I'm trying to learn how to navigate and touch and be in love with the body I have now. Because if I don't, then how do I expect you to be able to touch me um, if I can't love the new me? And he was like, well, that's ridiculous and silly. And I was like, now you just didn't, you know, acknowledge my emotions. Like, I get where he was trying to come from. Like, Mm -hmm. don't worry about that. But um you know, it's just where I'm at. You know, I've got to explore mm-hmm. the new contours and, you know, dips and caves and valleys of my new body uh, and learn to embrace those scars.
1: Absolutely. I think for you, you have the ultimate dramatic change for, for you know, the average person who hasn't had to deal with, and go through what you've gone through, the change is gradual over time. Gradual gravity starts to kick in or maybe a little extra padding comes on. and so the the change happens over a, a long period of time. And you've literally had one year to go from, you know, where the the BC <laughs> to um, you know, before cancer to after and, and work with that. And honestly, it's only been a couple months since your surgery, I can imagine. Um, so it's going to take some time. My friends and I, every
0: year we age, like you notice something different on your body. I remember one Mm -hmm. time noticing my hands look different. Another time I noticed between my breasts look different. Um, you know, and I think, I think if you have a good, uh, group of gals around you, you can just learn to lean into that and embrace it rather Mm -hmm. than run away. And, you know, like you mentioned, good self-care, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. like Nick just asked me the other day, he's like, you know, would you just write down everything you do for self-care? Because he was getting a little lost in it. And, you know, put it up on the bulletin board. But, you know, like Sunday is my uh, care for me day. Like I'll oil my hair. I'll put a face mask on. um, I'm going to give myself a self-massage. I oil my ears. Um, you know, I, I um, oil my body every day and say loving affirmations. I mean, all these self-care things uh, are really to provide health. And, you know, there might be a beauty side effect to it, like a benefit, right? But um, I think the more that you just lean into that I'm doing these things for me, for health, um, to keep my mm-hmm. circulation and, and that kind of stuff, it it has a different intention.
1: Yes, I, I agree. And I think that, um, they're, they're good practices, but I think that it's going to carry you way beyond now, because let's face it, like, like we were saying in the beginning, we are in that middle age part. And if we talk about aging, if we are only at the halfway point, Kim, (laughs) then there's a whole nother round to go. And so then we get into, well, what are we going to be like when we're elderly? And part of that self-care is I want to be not just, you know, looking good or having nice skin, but being fit and cognitively um, competent as for yeah. as long as possible and, you know, encouraging movement, like everything that we are doing now. It's really important for that whole second half that we have to keep things in check, so that we can be um, as participatory <laughs> in life for the the last half, right?
0: Yeah, that that I want to bring this up because that that leads me to two things I wanted to talk about today. So there are, there's a list of activities of daily living and you and I ask our clients about this all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'm going to list what those are. If you cannot without assistance, use a toilet, eat, dress, bathe, groom, get yourself out of bed, get out of a chair and walk. Those are the eight activities of daily living, right? Then you're lacking Mm -hmm. a capacity for basic physical independence. There's also what's called the independent activities of daily living. So if you cannot shop for yourself, prepare your own food, maintain your housekeeping, do your laundry, manage your medications, make phone calls, travel on your own and handle your finances, then the eight independent activities of daily living, then you lack the capacity to live safely on your own. Mm -hmm. And so- you know, everybody as they age wants their independence, and we know studies have shown. You know, try not to move them from their home, their environment, because you know things tend to go downhill after that. I have a group of um, clients that I'm I'm so lucky that I have such a long retention rate with my clients, but they started with me with me in their 50s, and they're all turning like 70s this year, mm-hmm. and um, you know they're noticing as as we're getting back to going out to, um, service meetings, you know, like exchange club and rotary and that kind of thing, they've been, Mm -hmm. everybody's has a heightened awareness of health, right. From COVID. And so one of the activities was like, touch your toes. And my one client said, you know, I'm touching the floor and I look around and nobody else can get anywhere near there. And I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is why, you know, your children are thanking you, for caring for yourself, because you can live that retirement years, you've done your work uh, with zest. And, you know, I've gone through this with my parents, you're going through it with your parents. I'm having conversations around these um, activities of daily living and independent activities of daily living. You know, they're hard conversations to have. And when you're aging, it's difficult to prioritize these things. Heck, you know, I have this year, found myself not being able to do some of these things on my own. But, you know, like when we're talking about, um, you know, massaging ourselves or or putting on uh, socks and, and doing some of these self-care things, even though they might not fall into the, the exercise calories uh, or category, you're still practicing these things because there's no you know, you're bouncing on one foot to put a sock on. You might put a leg up Mm -hmm. on a chair to massage. So then you're, again, you're, you're changing that balance component. Um, there's no doctor for tipsy, right? And if you're tipsy and going to fall, what's going to happen to you? You're going to end up in a nursing home or assisted living.
1: Right. That's a lot. Well, you know, I caretake for my dad. He has all of the independent, um, or sorry, all of the, activities for daily living you know he can dress himself and shower and do all of those things but all of the independence things that's why he's under my care he's unable to do all of the other things I mean he can make himself a sandwich and he can sweep the floor but he has physical conditions that prevent him from doing things and then the memory loss for him because he has a brain injury and and short-term memory loss the memory and loss for him, he can't make a phone call. He can't, you know, on his own behalf, he can't talk to the doctors because he doesn't remember why, <laughs> um, you know, taking care of his finances, taking care of his, um, you know, any any sort of bookkeeping. I mean, even he does a lot of word puzzles, like word searches, because even something like reading a book can get frustrating for him because after you know so much time he he struggles to remember what's happened before so you know I, I got him a book for Christmas that he really enjoys but I noticed that the bookmark is all over the place it. <laughs> whenever whenever I uh, help him with things at night so just in remembering to do like medications or fill his CPAP or you know it's got to be with special water different things that you know you have to do um there's a lot of steps to maintaining that. And so it's really made me appreciate how much uh, memory and cognitive function are there. And then since the pandemic, we were doing uh, an exercise class just weekly, just once a week, he would go and do his exercise class and get a massage once a month. And when the since the pandemic, we haven't been doing that. And now I'm actively looking to go start that up again. Um but I've seen a decline in him over 2 years of not having that physically even though we try to do stuff at home it's just not the same. So it's interesting. It's been like a real time experiment and seeing how much he improved under my care and then seeing just a little shift and decline with 2 years of you know, cuz I can't do what the uh, the the people at the gym are doing i don't have the equipment i don't have the, the special knowledge that they i mean i have a lot of knowledge but not um uh, what they were doing for him and then i don't have time in my day to to take care of myself half the time let alone to you know give him an hour massage once a month so <laughs> no, for sure yeah so. That's, a, that's just a, a perk so it's been interesting to see that happens and then see the little ways in which we can, we can start to improve again and bring
0: things back. It really makes a difference. You know, I, I tried to have this conversation with uh, my family, with my mom, is that caring for an elder person is more than making sure that they have a place to live and food. You know, Mm -hmm. you still need to ensure that proper hygiene is happening you still need to get them out to experience things, to see different things, to keep them alert. Um, you know, it's a full-time job uh, making sure that they have a well-quality, alert life, which leads me to my, my next thing that I'm wondering and, and would like to discuss. What do you think about um, how in the West we view the elderly versus perhaps how in the East they, they view an elderly person?
1: Oh wow! From what I know, I I remember um, in my undergrad, you know, discussing life, life stages and development, and the difference between um, Eastern culture and Western culture is that we do oftentimes, um, not hide it, but we, you know, there we have definitely have more elder care facilities and more homes to put people in. It's similar to. Um, death in a way, like, like Western cultures, you know, kind of hide death and don't deal with death, like in a home setting. Eastern cultures, from what I understand, are much more like they take in the older folks. It's just part of the thing that the elderly parents live in the household with the whole family. And even when they pass, like that sort of practice happens at home. Funerals happen at home. The whole life cycle is witnessed a little bit more in the home than Western culture. I believe that we have kind of farmed it out a little bit. So our elderly are sent off to be in a home and don't get me wrong. Having been a caretaker for the last five years, I can see where there's a time and a place for a facility. You know, my father-in-law had Alzheimer's very bad and he was nonverbal and then he started to get violent. And then he really had a thing with with feces. And it was very, it just got to the point where my mother-in-law just could not handle that. And his children and my um, husband and his brother, there wasn't really anything that we could do either. You know, he was starting to wander. It was getting dangerous. So there's certainly a time and a place for elder care facilities. But I do feel that, the go-to method isn't necessarily keeping um, folks as independent as possible or keeping them at home as much as it is in Eastern countries. Is that where you were going with that?
0: (laughs) So I read this book written by a surgeon uh, being mortal and he had in one of his chapters kind of put together a timeline on when things started to change for us um, in a, in America. So, in that
1: capacity?
0: Yeah. So it was kind of around the, uh, the industrial area, mm-hmm. right. Because we weren't the, we weren't suffering as much economically, right. We had, uh, you know, all the world war two kind of benefits coming up and, and out of that, um, that were helping kind of lift up, uh, financial situations in America. So as the economy started to grow, then shifts in, in patterns started to change. Um, property ownership, right, started to occur. Um, children started moving away from their, you know, family's homeland to kind of build their their own, um, I don't know, family unit and destiny somewhere else. Um, and right. then, you know, parents were living longer too. And so they found that mm-hmm. they could, uh, you know, then probably sell their land. Um, there were rising incomes, pension systems, right. That enabled people to have and accumulate savings and property, um, which gave them more economic control. And if we think about this, uh, you know, so then I guess retirement started to happen, right. Because before the hundreds, right. uh, you know, people died before they were 60. In the 1930s, we started to see improvements in nutrition and sanitation and medical care and and so on. And, and family systems, you know, they also started to uh, fall because in the 1800s, I think the average family was seven people. Um, and then in, in the 1900s, we saw it to come to three people, you know, and now we're seeing it fall even a bit more. And women were living longer past menopause because Mm -hmm. they weren't going through that, uh, you know, having multiple pregnancies, one right after the other, takes a wear and tear on the female body as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, you started to see things change. But, you know, when we look at the the early 20th century of America, 60% of those over 65 reside with a child. By the 1960s, That proportion had dropped to 25%. And then by 1975, we saw 10% over the age of 80 live with their children. Um, And so that started to to change. We're even starting to see um, in Asia where they had this idea of an elderly parent um, being left at home was traditionally regarded as shameful. Now that we're mm-hmm. starting to see a radical shift. Where even in China, Japan, Korea, uh, national statistics are starting to show the percentage of elderly living alone is rising rapidly. And so, mm-hmm. what ha- what happens? We we thought this assisted living model would work, uh, and they even the woman who created it even showed that there was a profit to it. But when she mm-hmm. took her company, um, you know, public. The the board members just chopped it to make a profit margin. And now it's just a a more expensive, glorified nursing home. But all the things that made it wonderful uh, and rewarding for the elderly and their health uh, completely isn't there anymore, which is really sad.
1: It is. I mean, it makes sense. So what you're saying is. You know, just the throughout history, the fact that we did that the lifespan was was elongating and that we had certain things like retirement, Social Security. There was a period of um, independence that occurred that was probably appreciated by as people aged to have that independence. But then and, and you know, people moving throughout the country, that kind of thing, living further apart. But then also that return to once they're they're no longer independent, the return wasn't to a family home. <laughs> the return was then, you know, to, to facilities instead. And then the difference between assisted living and a nursing facility, you know, where you have a place where they help you and they just take you to go get your groceries, but you're still living independently versus a nursing home where you're maybe sharing a room with a roommate situation. Um, yeah,
0: in their yeah, institutions, right. just like a prison, mm-hmm. right? We tend to take mm-hmm. our our health care, our elderly care, our school, our prisons, and put them all in the same institutional
1: mindset. Why are we doing that? Well, because you it doesn't because work. of profit. Because of profit. It's all I, I don't mean to shit on capitalism, but sometimes it's it's not the greatest when you think about a great idea in our society, often gets exploited for profit. So the idea that there would be a facility for folks to go to as they age, great idea. Um, but then look at the, the healthcare system, Kim. <laughs> like they, everyone needs healthcare. Everyone needs help. But so much of the our issues in our country, the reason why um, insulin here is 300 times more expensive than it is anywhere else in the world is, is the for-profit model so the same thing with prisons like the only reason why prisons are so much fuller we have the the greatest uh population of prisoners again the highest number in the in the world is because it's a for-profit model and if it wasn't a for-profit model then it wouldn't we wouldn't have so many people incarcerated you know, look, if, look, if, I'm not against capitalism. I think that people can make a profit. <laughs> I think, yeah, but, but we no, don't need to, I, I we agree
0: need to mark stuff up 300, 400%, yeah, right? Yeah. And we there also, we also don't need <laughs> to have that high of a markup, but still be number 11 on healthcare, right? We're behind. Yeah. We also know that you mentioned prisons. We also know we have these full prisons, but yet mm-hmm. our crime still hasn't reduced compare if we compare ourselves to other countries similar to ourselves these things have to be tweaked They they have to be um adjusted you know i've noticed um in some of my soap notes when i'm reading them from doctors uh one particular department always puts in offered emotional support and i'm thinking what emotional support did they offer me they gave me common human Mm -hmm. decency is that now considered emotional support because we can charge for it? I was just going to
1: say, but do they get, a, do they get a fee? Because they, they must because they offer it's the same an phrase support.
0: that keeps up. So I'm like, because you laid a hand on my shoulder when I was having a treatment or offered me a kind word that's considered emotional support. To me, that's common human. Meaning. Right. Whether anyway, human they're, decency.
1: well, whether they're, getting paid for it or whether it is a uh, step that needs to be put in there to prevent litigation that would be the other do yeah. you know what i mean i prevented it to not lose money yeah because <laughs> so I mean, you know it you is and I dollar. That we, we
0: do talk therapy to me that's mm-hmm. emotional support right we got into yeah. the nitty gritty the root of something but you know talk about is is serious is it a serious illness Or or is it, you know, this um, kind of institutional mindset? And you're right, it's for profit, right? If if The Mm -hmm. institution of being in it, even in assisted living sometimes now, it's like, line up, this is medication time. Now you're going to get up. There's no flexibility Mm -hmm. uh, to have, you know, a, a nice lived life. So... I have this question. Or if I mean, there we is, we may it's or may not expensive. be able to answer it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so assisted living, how, how assisted living programs that are now like what um, assisted living was meant to be. And when assisted mm-hmm. living first started out, it, it was affordable and still showed a profit, right? And then mm-hmm. they kind of tore it to apart and bastardized it. Now it's like ten dollars to $16,000 a week for that same model that was proven you know, at a more affordable income. Ten dollars mm-hmm. to $16,000 a week, who can afford that? I realize there's probably mm-hmm. 800 million people in the 1% now that might be able to afford something like that. But come on. So it leads me, if, if independence is what we live for, what do we do when we can no
1: longer be sustained? That's a question I've been pondering. Well, I think that that's interesting, too. So if you look at the different models between east to west, um a lot I, there is a word for it, and I am um, because I didn't know that this was going to come up, I didn't look it up. But there's a Japanese word for um basically having a purpose in life, and it is part of the reason why they are in a blue zone, why their elderly people tend to live the longest and live the happiest. Life, part of it is diet, part of it is exercise, and part of it, again, there's a word for it that I'm not familiar with that I didn't look up ahead of time, um, where it's just, you know, a purpose to live in life. And you just used that phrase. <laughs> if, you know, what if our purpose is to have a great life? I think if you don't believe that that is happening for you, it's harder to hold on to that purpose. And so I think that, um, some folks, as they age, may give up because they don't have that um, that ingrained um, as part of the kind of the belief system. For so, for my understanding, the elderly Japanese, you know, they get up and do their uh, exercises, tai Chi's or exercise in the park social. and that kind of thing, and they have yeah. their social. Their social and it's all because they have culturally a sense of this is what old people are for like a sense of purpose like we've aged into this place where this is where we should be and they don't know culturally because we are such a melting pot across the United States that we have one unified sense of purpose as older folks so I feel like then that gets lost. And that's when you can get into, you know, instances of depression or certainly emotional health can play on memory, it can play on physical health and um, result in increased deterioration. So I think one of the things that has to happen is that sense of purpose and feeling like it's very important. I used to work at an apartment community, just a standard apartment community and I had a resident who was 89 when I left and I used to go and visit her and she lived on the third floor (laughs) so she walked up two flights of stairs or three flights of stairs to get to her apartment um she was 89 she was very spry and with it and then when I would come to visit her or help her with things um she took great pride in saying you know, all I take is a daily aspirin. (laughs) Yeah, She would be like, I do all of my things myself. I have all of my own teeth. I do, you know, she was just so, and in some ways I was like, oh, you do have to have some sense of, even if it's something like I'm doing well, so I'm going to keep doing the things that I continue to do. Living on the third floor to her, those stairs, she said, are what kept her going. And so she she was such an inspiration because that was her, um, you know, part of her belief system. But I don't know if culturally we have something that holds us like many of the people in the blue zones where life tends to, you know, people are living past 100 physically and mentally all there. I, I love the story that you
0: just shared. I I know three um People in their 90s and they're mm-hmm. such a delight and if mm-hmm. our genes are explaining less than we imagine then we know that classical wear and tear model um mm-hmm. perhaps is explaining more than we knew uh my first experience with someone in their 90s i was dating a guy and his grandparents lived in miami and so we would of course you know being in undergrad you're right in our 20s we'd go down to see them quite a bit to hang out in miami beach and Every free trip to
1: Florida.
0: Yeah, I was <laughs> free to make this Italian dish, right? And uh, so she was like, "Well, we've got to go to the market." And uh, so I'm like, "Oh, you know, let me go." So I think that I'm going to help this 90 year old woman who's got her little cart on wheels, right? Because you could walk everywhere in Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, her grocery cart wheel wheelie cart thing, and I think I'm going to help her across the street. And, you know, next thing I know, she's across the street and I'm like lagging behind her. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, so that kind of put it in new perspective. But my grandfather is in his mid 90s. Nick's grandmother uh, just turned 96. And, you know, when you talk to them, they do have a sense of pride for the independent uh, daily activities that they can still do. Uh, They'll even tell you, don't do this for me because I can still do it right? They have, Mm -hmm. they still at 90 have this desire for personal growth and they want you to teach them more how to use perhaps the, um, electronic system at the post office or teach me how to do this computer thing versus I can still walk nine holes and play golf. I can still get my groceries. I can still cook. I can still do my dishes, Mm -hmm. my laundry, like don't help me with that stuff. Let me work on that. It takes longer in the day, but, you know, they still have a routine. Um, They're still have a little social circles that they can get into. Um, I think the pandemic for both of them has brought up more fear because that isolation Mm -hmm. component that was gone um, Mm -hmm. really has left them with fear. And I I can see, at least with my grandfather, a, a decline has started to happen.
1: Yeah, I could see that, too. I, this brings up you you telling me their story. It brings up a little bit of um, one of the notes that I jotted down was some of the things that elder people face and just older people in general as, as they get older. Um, you know, that there is a level of ageism that, you know, oh, well, you're old, so you can't do these things. <laughs> And then, you know, that they are infanticized, that they are, you know, let me take care of that for you. And like you said, there's a level of not just pride in independence. I mean, it is it is partially pride, but knowing cognitively that, hey, if I don't continue to do these things for myself, then... I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose the ability to do it. So I need to be doing it. My great grandfather was the same way. I want to say he was well into his eighties and he would still do the asphalt in his driveway (laughs) because he always like every other year did a little layer of asphalt on the driveway to, to fix it up. And that was just one of the things that he did. He was very, my great grandparents were, um, Uh, depression era folks and everything had a place. They never bought more than they need than they needed, but they also um, maintained everything and took care of everything very well. So he was constantly like throughout my childhood. I've never seen another person like seal their basement regularly and asphalt their driveway regularly. He had a schedule for everything, (laughs) but I feel like that's what kept him going. He was 94 when he passed. And he did not start to lose his cognitive abilities until that very last year. And he lived alone, I want to say, until he was 90. So, but ageism and infantilized, um, not infanticized, that's something different, but infantilized, (laughs) Um, you know, and just treated like children. So, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think that's true. It brings me back to the, you and I, you you talk a lot about it, I guess, um, more so than me, but I think it's because of your psychology undergrad, uh, the Maslow's Pyramid is what I think about,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And so we still need achievement, creativity, that self-actualization piece, um, you know, it's still important as we age to help us, you know, keep going. And that's kind I mean of what too. you described, right? In that mm-hmm. routine.
1: Yeah, as the hierarchy of needs, as long as the basics are covered, then you're striving towards the other goals. And so what's important is that you maintain the basics, like food, shelter, housing, you know, a safe place to be. And then you can continue to move up and do things that, you know, bring pleasure and knowledge and um, move you forward. I did read an article in psychology today that said that the aging population as a whole is statistically happier more mellow so like i said not as um not as anxious about what other people perceive them to be or any of that more emotionally flexible because they've experienced life they're a little more like yeah stuff stuff happens And more um, grateful and resilient as a whole. So a little more bounce back and a little more gratitude than their younger peers. So those, those were all positive aspects of aging that I found really interesting. But just older people as a whole, and again, hierarchy of needs provided all the other needs are met. um, that they're they're a happier population and a more easygoing population than folks I, I think who are younger. Wonder, I think
0: that's wonderful, and it makes sense because our baby boomers ha, are the first generation to have the um, highest amount of retirement funds. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense to me, right? If we we just talked about the Maslow pyramid the hierarchy mm-hmm. of needs, right? There, mm-hmm. it's and this is going to sound condescending, maybe I shouldn't say, it, but, but they, the those retirement funds are able to have their hierarchy of needs. A positive in that. They're not stressed yes. about that. So we yeah. know if we, we look at, when we look at the happiness project, when that's happening, it's much easier to be happy and creative and all those other things.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. I also think as you were to, to circle back a little bit to you were talking about the, the book that you read that was talking about, you know, the industrial the industrial age coming on. And now that we're seeing the boomers retire, <laughs> one of the interesting side effects, and I am one of these people, um, is being in the sandwich situation. Which is where my boomer parents are aging, and because I am borderline Gen X, millennial, you know, either a really old millennial or really baby Gen Xer, um, I had children later, so I chose not to have children until I was in my late thirties, so or thirties and late thirties. So my my situation is I have a three year old. And I have a, a parent at home that I take care of both of them. Um, so then you're circling back to that um, that kind of model where the parent lives at home. Do you right, know what I mean? Where to, the parent we're
0: starting to see multi-generational homes
1: again. Multi-generational homes again because people were, are having children later. And then also having to deal with their aging parents.
0: We're also so it's seeing just kind of an, an e- interesting. Yeah, we're also seeing this from an economic standpoint too. I mean, Nick and I have since you know he's in the construction industry. We're always looking at architecture and what way architectural trends are going. And we've been predicting for quite some time that we're going to we're going back to multi generational homes. We're going back to mm-hmm. courtyards. Um, it's just kind of interesting the needs and, and there are pros and cons for that too. Right. Um, Yeah. You know, it's sometimes nice to have an older person in the household for the wisdom um, for, you know, helping out with some of the uh, household chores and, and Mm -hmm. um, entertaining the little ones.
1: (laughs) And I think it's good. Yeah. And I was just going to say, I think it's good for them as older folks. When we talked about being isolated, if they're in a home situation, I think it's actually very good. I My father, speaking of his turnaround to doing so much better under my care, I think part of it is just having more social interaction. You know, he was being cared for by his elderly parents <laughs> until they were in their late 80s and were no longer able to do that. So it's just for him to be in a situation where he is around young children and he can have you know my 3-year-old climbs up into his lap every day and they play games and you know play i spy and be silly and he she makes him laugh just as much as he makes her laugh and i feel like it brings so much to his quality of life and has probably you know supported his longevity as well and and for my mom as well like she says it all the time that her grandkids, you know, keep her keep her going.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, think about it. I mean, we know the word culture, right, is the sum total of shared habits and expectations. So, in your household, right, from his parents' household for his aging parents caring for him to yours, mm-hmm. that culture changed. So instead mm-hmm. of dying of like boredom and loneliness and helplessness, right. They, mm-hmm. Now there's vibrancy from that little three year old. You know, there's imagination. Mm-hmm. There's you know something different every day. Uh, mm-hmm. There's better food. There's outings. There's you know the culture. There's those sum of the total shared habits and expectations took a big turn for him, and you're seeing mm-hmm. it by proof and in his increase in health and wellness. Yep. Yeah. No,
1: absolutely. It's just exhausting for us sandwiched in the middle. (laughs)
0: It's it's a huge emotional load, right?
1: It is. It is. And it's a it's a full-time job, you know. It's it's a it's a struggle as well, because you know, you and I have have spoke before about I feel very fortunate to be in the position to be a full-time caregiver and to be able to be present and you know homeschool my kids through this pandemic and to be able to um take that time but additionally two income households are really needed (laughs) to survive and so the opportunity to um or the the there are some struggles I guess to the uh, single income in this, you know, situation of staying home and being the caretaker. And this is a whole nother episode, Kim, is the caregivers just don't get there's no financial support for the emotional, mental, and physical load of being a caretaker. We really don't value that in our society. And I could I love how you say that I word value. Yes. Yeah. I could say it's because it's predominantly done by women. But yes. I won't say that. I'll save that for a different episode.
0: <laughs> yeah. But the caregiving
1: also, isn't valued.
0: Absolutely correct. And we also know that that we need to place value on it because by not placing value on it, it would immediately cripple our healthcare system. Should females mm-hmm. stop doing the majority care role, role, being the majority caregiver role in the mm-hmm. elderly? Yeah. 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 And you're right. It is a whole nother episode, which we've talked about um, discussing about, you know, here's what I want to sum up from our conversation today. I think we're confusing care with treatment and care and treatment are two different things.
1: Mm -hmm, I like that. That's
0: what it boils down to for me.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not treating necessarily treating aging. You're, You're just caring for aging. Aging is a natural occurrence. So I
0: like that. Well, Courage we look forward to talking to you again. Send us your thoughts Absolutely.
1: on aging. Yep. All things Where the Lotus Grows, hit us up there. See you next time.
0: Show notes and resources grow on our website, wherethelotusgrows.com. If you're wanting to engage with the topics we present in a deeper way, it's a great place to go for a more immersive experience and links to pertinent show information. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or subscribe on our website to get our weekly blog, personalized weekly mantra, and links to listen to the show. We're so grateful for all the reviews, recommendations, membership support, and suggestions that you provide us. As always, our member platform is at patreon.com, Backslash where the lotus grows, this is where you can go to donate to the show to help keep us going and get a few rewards for your support. Thank you, Courageitarians. We love having you as our Sangha. Until next week. Remember, though we are professionals in our field, the topics discussed and or advice given is general information and not attended as treatment or diagnosis. Please seek the guidance of a medical, integrative health, bodywork, or yoga therapy professional for a full evaluation.